For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Alrighty, let's see if I remember how to do this. Good morning, Winnipeg! Good morning, Manitoba, for all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms. We say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show with Dave Manuk, with Ezra Ginsberg. I'm your host, Drew Mandel, here for the next couple of hours talking everything to do with the Winnipeg Jets. The summer hiatus is over. We're back. The fall is upon us you can feel the chill in the air that means it's hockey season and it's a legal curve hockey season gentlemen good to see you both it's been a pleasure of a month not having to deal with you but it is thrilling to be back here on air with both of you fine gentlemen absolutely boys and we actually did see each other yesterday drew because yes, I, now drew and i get to grim. see each other at our kids drop off uh-huh. at, at, at elementary school we'll get into that a little bit later because i <laughs> i might have been snubbed by one of the mendel children yeah. one of the mendel children it was very nice to me very polite uh and then the, the other one uh didn't remember who i was and slammed a door on me but we'll get into that a little bit later but yes it is great to be back it was a nice hiatus you know beautiful Summer is over. It's hockey season. We're ready to go. We've got a Young Stars tournament to talk about. Training camp starts in less than two weeks. So, yeah, we're glad to be back and and glad that everybody's here joining us live today on our YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly right. Dave M., you were looking at, you know, you might be Benjamin Button. I think you age in reverse. You're getting younger by the day. It's amazing, uh, you know, with that, uh, you know, Explore MB uh, program you're on does for your skin. It's it, it looks rejuvenated. It looks. I think I think you've been moisturizing. Have you, have you been moisturizing? I think you need to get your eyes checked. Is what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but we got thanks. new microphones. We didn't get new cameras. That might have something yeah. to do with yeah, that. New true. mic day. These are great. Shout out to producer Timmy. Uh, for helping us out with these, but yeah, we've got these fancy new microphones, and uh, Tim Bro said, "Look, at we've never sounded mics. better, right, boys?" Yeah, these mics are a step up from what we were using before, and there's going to be a lot of changes. Folks are going to be noticing from the old show to the new show in the coming weeks as we get ready for the Jets season opener. It might be the season opener, the rebirth of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, the Illegal Curve Post Game Show. So lots to look forward to. We've got things started here with these fancy mics so hopefully we're coming in nice and crispy to everyone uh and we've got something of substance to say not just our sound is good but yeah it's been a great summer uh exploring the province being uh going west north east and south and getting a chance to uh interact with everybody and um you know like i said have a have a great time seeing this beautiful province because too many people take it for granted There you go. So let's get started talking about the Winnipeg Jets as we do each and every Saturday here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. And it's sort of ironic that we go away for five weeks and we come back and it's the same topic of conversation. Although there's a a, a change in the tenor to it. And that, of course, has to do with both Mark Scheifele and Connor Hellebuck, as in, you know, maybe that door... That when we went away last, you know, in July and in June, maybe that door that had been slammed shut, according to the insiders, well, maybe that door is getting wedged open a little bit more as it pertains to the futures of Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley here in Winnipeg. We know the scenario. We know that both players 
are at the uh, in the final year of their current contract. We know that most teams don't like going into the start of a season with two key members of their team unsigned for next year. And the way that the summer unfolded, a lot of people, not everybody, Dave M and my and, and yours truly in particular, were waiting for the, a Hellebuck trade. We're waiting for a Shifley trade. Well, those trades never happened. And then yesterday, Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts, that's how you know the summer's over, is that 32 Thoughts podcast is back in addition to the Illegal Curve uh, show is back, saying that, oh, wait, maybe Hellebuck is actually reconsidering. Maybe, you know, that door isn't as slammed shut as it once was. I guess I'll start with you, Dave, your thoughts on the report and the commentary, because you you wrote about it on the website on illegalcurve.com. Your thoughts on the commentary from Elliot Friedman and, to some extent, Jeff Merrick yesterday? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was not super noteworthy. I mean, uh, look, I think that Connor Hellebuck's probably reevaluated and seen that the market for him isn't what he thought it could be for a potential Vesna. I'm not saying that there was these things weren't possible. Obviously, they were. Obviously, there were conversations being had. But at the same time, and I was looking to see how consistent we were, if you go all the way back to May, of, mm-hmm. of this year and probably earlier, but I went back to May. It, you, we, you, the three of us we were all talking about this and we said, Dubois is gone. Wheeler, we expected to be gone, but we weren't hundred percent certain based on the jets uh, loyalties. And we didn't think Shifley and Hellebuck were being dealt. And one of the other things that, that Friedman talked about, and it's interesting because I, I kind of said the same thing based on the exit interviews. I said, the one thing that doesn't seem clear is that the vision from the, from the brass is being conveyed to the players. Mm-hmm. And that was it was interesting because I, I like I listened to the comments and we all discussed it in, like I said, probably I think it was in it was either May or June. And then you went and you listened to Friedman saying, oh, he talked to a former player. And the one thing they wished was that the team was a little more loose with information with the players, giving them an idea as to the vision, which is, again, consistent with what we've been saying for, for some time now from our own observations but I, I suspect as he that the insiders were outsiders based on Connor Hellebuck will never sign another contract yeah. with the Winnipeg Jets the door is closed and I'm like is the door closed I mean again you know that if, was- the, if if the if the if the market was there that's one thing the market wasn't there for him nor Shifley I'm a little bit more for Shifley maybe with like a team like the Bruins it could be a need but the fact of the matter is I, my expectation and I said this was that I thought Shifley would sign an extension I wasn't certain about Hellebuck, but I just didn't see the Jets doing it at the time because, of course, they didn't have Lauren Bressois. But I, I really didn't think that the Jets were going to do it unless there was – because you're, what was your need going to be? You were going to need to get a goaltender. And so. so it's worth pointing out, you mentioned that you know the door had been slammed shut or that ship has sailed. Those were the words that were used by Pierre Lebrun mm-hmm. in an article on The Athletic, if you remember back as he went in, in, I think that was probably June when he wrote that. I think it was a Saturday morning when it came out, if I recall correctly. Uh, he said that you know there was, he, he said that the door was slammed shut. So now mm-hmm. wh- whether or not there will be a mea culpa from Pierre Lebrun, I'm not going to no hold chance. my breath on that front. They, they, the insiders hope we don't remember what they say you know, a few months later is how it works. But, you know, it, it, I thought it was an interesting report yesterday as he, and the, how the, the tone has changed. Because all of a sudden, you know, if there's not as many teams who are willing to pay you $9 million, $10 million, $11, $11 million a year, well, and there's one team that is, and I'm not saying the Jets are going to pay exactly that amount, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, you know, all of a sudden that team looks a little bit more attractive than they did before, doesn't it, Mr. Ginsburg? I would agree with that. And, you know, there always is the possibility, and this has been floated out by a lot of people, there is the possibility that, you know, the Jets keep Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck for their playoff run and then lose them 
for for nothing. And you know that brings up you know memories of Artemi Panarin and Sergei mm-hmm. Bobrovsky with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I personally don't think that's going to happen. I could see that maybe happening with one of the two players. I don't see that happening with both players. But yeah, Drew, you're right. The trade market and Dave talked about this. You know, before we went off air in late July. I mean, the trade market in general you know, is very different than it was in previous years with so many teams up against the salary cap, right? Like Riley Smith, for example, being traded to the Penguins for, I think it was a second round pick or a third round pick. Like that's a, that's a guy that any day of the week, you know, but prior to the trade deadline would, would fetch a first round pick, right? For a team, a contending team that wanted to bolster their, their top six, right? So we know that there aren't that many teams that are really in on Connor Hellebuck, right? Like the New Jersey Devils and the Buffalo Sabres have been the teams that have been rumored, and it makes a lot of sense, right, Um, when you consider their goaltending situation. But when you're talking about Buffalo, I don't think they're moving Devin Levi. And so then are you talking about Yuko Pekalakonen? Because he's nowhere near the goaltender. Like, all due respect to him, he's a decent young goaltender, but he's not Connor Hellebuck, a guy that has a Vesna trophy and and is a Vesna trophy, a regular Vesna trophy finalist, right? When you're talking about the Devils, is it going to be Vitek Vanacek? Is it going to be Akira Schmid? I mean, you hear that, you know, the Jets might want a guy like Dawson Mercer. I don't think the Devils are interested in trading Dawson Mercer. But, like, one of the moves, guys, that Pittsburgh was a team that I thought might be in on Hellbuck. When they re-signed Tristan Jari to a five-year deal, I think it was around $5 million AAV. Like, I think, to me, that not that move alone didn't signal to me that there wasn't much of a trade market for Hellbuck. But it kind of showed me, and same thing with Freddie Anderson, Dave, and Antti Ranta being re-signed in Carolina. It said to me that... Teams would rather re-sign their goaltenders at you know four million a year, five million a year, as opposed to Hellebuck, who's going to probably make around ten million a year. Yeah, he's making around what is it now six point two or something like that. But you know that whoever is going to acquire him, if he's not a rental, they're going to want to sign him to a long-term deal, right? So with Hellebuck, I don't think any of us are surprised that there hasn't been you know a lot of trade chatter. And same thing goes for Mark Scheifele, right? Like the Boston Bruins are the obvious team. You know, now that Patrice Bergeron and, and David Krejci have retired, it makes a lot of sense that they'd, they'd want to acquire Shifley. But, you know, what are you getting from the, the Bruins and, and Shifley? You're, like, you're getting Pavel Zaka, uh, a draft pick. Like, I, I don't think that they have the pieces right now to trade with the Jets for, for Mark Shifley. So I'm not at all surprised. And, you know, is there a chance that Hellebuck still signs an extension? Of course there is. But the Jets are going to have to be comfortable, Dave, with with giving him you know, in that nine and a half to $10 million range. And they're probably going to want to sign him to at least five or six years, right? So, I mean, it, it provides optimism for Jets fans. I just don't know. I mean, when Elliot and Jeff Merrick, all due respect, say there's a chance, you know, that he's willing to explore all options. Okay, well, that's very vague, first of all. Um, and it doesn't <laughs> give you a lot of information, right? So, yes, I guess there always is the chance that both Hellebuck and Shifley sign extensions. But, uh, you know, I'm not holding my breath on those. From from everybody I've spoken to this summer, you know, you know that uh, that are you know I would describe them as relatively informed people, not you know not the average person just necessarily off the street, uh, you know, expo- espousing an opinion. The Jets, from my perspective and from what I've heard, I think are far more comfortable signing Connor Hellebuck to a long term extension than they are Mark Shifley. It seems that. You know the 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 warts that are a part of Mark Shifley's game mm-hmm. are giving pause to teams all throughout the NHL, including the Winnipeg Jets, who would know those warts up close and personal better than anybody else. So, from the Jets' perspective, you know, if you guys had to rank one as more of a priority than the other, 
given that you look at the entire team and you look at the what's coming up in the pipelines and everything else, is Hellebuck more of a priority to you than Mark Shifley would be? I don't even know. Like, I know like, it's a good question, Drew, but I don't even know if it's a question of priority and it's just, you know, a, a question of, or, or, or it's more like what's more realistic, right? Like, I, I have no idea what, what a bigger, the bigger priority would be for Chevy and the Jets, but I think it's more realistic, put it that way. And I'm not giving you a cop-out answer at all, Drew. I'm just saying, that's fine. I think it's more likely that the Jets re-sign Hellebuck to an extension than, than Shifley. And I think the thing that's dangerous about Shifley is, is age and, like, how many years are you signing him to? Like, I would be a lot more comfortable, you know, signing Mark Shifley to a five-year deal as opposed to an eight-year deal. He's 30 years old at this point. And, and I think, you know, the precedent is Blake Wheeler, right? The last couple of years of Blake Wheeler, um, the production slipped big time, right? Like, Blake Wheeler was still a productive player, but he wasn't as productive as, as you would like, you know, for an $8 million a year player, right? So I do think that it's more likely that Hellebuck signs the extension. I'm just not, you know, ready, Dave, to say right now that, I, that it, you know, it's imminent or, you know, I, I think there's a, a really good chance that he signs because I think he would have signed already, right? Like, he's he's had a lot of time to think about this. Like, yes, the Jets have traded Pierre-Luc Dubois for Gabe Velarde, Alex Ifalo, and Rasmus Kupari. They brought back Nemesnikov. They brought in Lauren Brassois. Like, these are all good moves, but I don't know if that necessarily, you know, has changed Hellebuck's opinion about re-signing in Winnipeg. But I do think it's more likely that Hellebuck stays as opposed to Shifley. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Jets obviously know that what they have in Connor Hellebuck, and and as Drew has touched on, you've got Thomas Milich, and who's the, obviously was the WHL goalie of the year, most likely will start in Norfolk with the Admirals, the uh, new ECHL affiliate. That's one of the new things that has taken place in the last five weeks. Yeah. All, <laughs> unlike this conversation, which you literally, if you were like, oh, our last show and this show, <laughs> basically the same conversation, but... No, I mean, look, you've got Thomas Millich and you've got Dominic DiVincentis. Dominic DiVincentis, of course, OHL goalie of the year. He's back in North Bay with the battalion. He's going to have another season there where he looks to replicate what he's done. But both, and of course, both those guys are going to be heading to BC next week with the young stars, which obviously gives you an indication as to how young they are and how far away they probably still are from even being in that conversation of NHL goaltender. But that's the that's your next kind of window. So those guys are both three to four years away. I was going to say from, at, from, the early, at the earliest. Yeah, I was from being say NHL goalies. Yeah, like yeah, like Thomas sure. Milich could be an AHL, a full time AHL goalie within a couple of years. But Dominic DiVincentis, as you said, Dave, I mean he's going back to the OHL, right? So right, yeah, no, those guys are those guys are years away from being years away. So I mean that's that's the reality for this Jets club. So again, if I'm Connor Hellebuck and this is my opportunity to cash in. Am I only signing a five-year deal when I could get an eight-year deal? And even with all the all the you know rubber he's faced, and we've detailed it since he's become the fir- the starting goalie for the Jets was 15-16. The reality is, no t- goalie has played more minutes and faced more shots than Connor Hellebuck. So that's a lot of rubber. And 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 Doctor Spurgeon, the Sturgeon surgeon, makes a good point. And it's actually Doctor Spurgeon, the Sturgeon Spurgeon. Sorry, other way around, surgeon. That's a point we actually have made on this show going back in you know a couple of months is the Jets would be comfortable losing Pierre-Luc Dubois but are the Jets comfortable losing du- Shifley and Dubois and not having adequate replacements like with all due respect Gabe Velarde were speculating that he can take that mantle at 2C but he's and but he's been a winger Cole Perfetti same thing Cole Perfetti was a center but he's been a winger so are you suddenly making those guys your one and two centers 
that's that's a lot of inexperience at that position to suddenly make to thrust upon them. So for all the warts that you want to talk about with Mark Shifley, 42 goals last year, can still put the puck in the back of the net. And if you have an overall more defensively responsible team, maybe that is, you know, an offset a little bit for for what his, you know, um what he is he brings doesn't bring defensively, I should say. But I don't think that from a Jets perspective and Friedman said this, and we've, we, I mean, again, we said this months ago. If you're the Jets, what are you doing without a, a, a bona fide one center? You don't, you can't, you can't as an NHL team that wants to sell tickets to, to, the, to the public. You're struggling already, and now you're going to say, well, we, we got rid of our one A center or one B center. Now we're getting rid of our one A center. It's not going to happen, I don't think, because you're not going to find a team that's willing to deal you a center like Mark Shifley because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So, so then let me, you know, you, you make very valid points, Dave, about all the reasons for the jets to keep Mark Shifley. But you know, the, you know, do you think then as the season progresses, if this team mm -hmm. is, let's be honest, this team is playing in, in the central division, which is not a very good division. This team should be a playoff team based on the roster that they currently have, based on the opponents that they're going to be primarily facing in the Central Division, the Jets should be a playoff team. You know, if there's no contract extension, are you comfortable with the Jets, you know, going past the trade deadline and without having Shifley and, and Hellebuck under contract and for the, letting it just sort of play out however it plays out in the offseason? No, that would be a doomsday scenario for, for the Jets, right? Like, and, and you, you could argue that, you know, it, it was not the right decision by the Columbus Blue Jackets either, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Columbus Blue Jackets upset the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. Right. Okay, great. Look where they're at now. You know what I mean? Like, the Blue Jackets, like I'm sorry, back. Mike Babcock, I don't think is going to be coaching them to a Stanley Cup. I, I think the Columbus Blue Jackets are going to be one of the most exciting teams to watch, like with Adam Fantilli. I think they'll be exciting to watch with Lion A and Johnny Gaudreau and, you know, you throw in Jack Roslevic and like Zach Wierenski, like it's an exciting team, but I mean, I, I how could you possibly say Dave that, you know, so you're saying as right... he the winning that one round was not worth the decision that they well, made in, in losing Panarin and, and well, you haven't Bobrovsky replaced either of them, right? Like you, you could say that you replaced Panarin in a sense by signing Johnny Gaudreau, but that was a couple of years later, right? Two years right. or three years later. Right. So, and, and, for like, look at these are cornerstone pieces when you're talking about Shifley and Hellebuck, right? Like, mm -hmm. we don't. Everybody knows what Shifley and Hellebuck mean to the Jets. So, I mean, I guess there always is the chance. But like I said, I I think the likelihood of both players, you know, being in the last year of their contracts and and not signing a contract extension, and then the Jets keeping them and then losing them for nothing, I don't think it's likely that'll happen. But I think you also have to ask yourself, or 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 you know, bring this up, boys, that. Nothing that, regardless of what the Jets' record is in in December or January or February or right before the trade deadline, which I think is going to be around March eighth. It's usually around, you know, like later in the first week of March, right? Yeah, I think uh, I saw a report from LeBron yesterday that said it might be uh, March Friday, 8th. March eighth is probably going to be the trade go. deadline this year. Yeah. So regardless of what the Jets' record drew is a month before the trade deadline or two months before the trade deadline. And I agree with you. I think the Jets can absolutely be a playoff team. I actually think they've, you know, marginally gotten better. I think, you know, Lauren Brassois has made the goaltending situation better. I think their depth is better. You know, when you have guys like Alex Ayafalo and Nemestikov who can play on the second line or the third line, right? Same thing goes for a guy like Nino Niederreiter. I think the Jets' forward depth is better. The defense is obviously exactly the same. 
So you can't say that the Jets have gotten any better. I don't mm -hmm. I mean, unless you, you know, talk about internal improvements, but the point is nothing, regardless of the way the Jets have played, they have to make their decision and Shifley and Hellebuck have to make their decision. So I don't think the Jets record is going to have any impact on, you know, whether they keep these guys and lose them or they trade them before the deadline. That's just my opinion. They have to know what the plan is right now for these guys, regardless if they're in first place in the central or fifth place in the central. Well, I mean, you know, they, I'd say as the season goes on, if the Jets are successful, the leverage, you know, you know, Kevin Shevel Dayoff really gets put into a, into a hard position. Now it's a hard position of his own making, not mm -hmm. having resolved it earlier. But mm -hmm. if to your point, as it's January and it's February and this team is in a good position and this team looks like a, could be a playoff team and not just a middling playoff team for argument's sake, because I think if it's clear that they're, you know, a, a one, you know, a first round and done, then, then I don't think it's that difficult of a decision. And I know the argument, oh, just get in and stranger things have happened. Well, yeah, that's the exception to the rule. I don't think you can plan based on the exception. But, you know, the Jets could be in a almost a, a, a an exceptionally unique position where they might have to trade one or both of their of key assets, key players on their team for futures because they don't have them under contract. I mean, it is a, it's a fascinating dynamic that's going to be at play and it's going to be at play throughout the entire season. And almost every time the jets win a game this year, you're going to say you, the question's going to come up. Yes. What do they do? Yes. What do they do? It's good to win, but at the same time, it's almost easier if this team tanks and loses sure. throughout the course of the year in terms well, of having to make a decision, Dave. Yeah, well, yeah. sorry, I just wanted to jump in here quickly, Dave, and then and then get in. Sure. I, I promise I'm not uh, hogging the, the mic time right now like Drew usually does, but that's why I think that it's more likely, guys, that the Jets would keep Hellebuck and then lose him for nothing, as opposed to Shifley, because we know who the most important player on this team is. It's Connor Hellebuck, right? Like, all due respect to other players on the team, like Kyle Connor, Josh Morrissey, Nick Ehlers, Adam Lowry, like, the Jets have a lot of players that are, like, core players that they rely on, but without Connor Hellebuck, you ain't going on a long playoff run. So that's why I think it's more likely that they would keep Connor Hellebuck and lose him for nothing. I'm not saying that I expect that to happen or the Jets will do that. I'm just saying I don't think, you know, the Jets will lose their number one center and their number one goaltender for nothing because how are you replacing that? I agree with Dave. Like, the Jets have some good young players when you're talking about Gabe Velarde and, and Cole Perfetti and, and, you know, Brad Lambert, Chaz Lucius, Rucker McGrordy, like, but these guys are not able to step in and and fill the role of, of Mark Shifley. Obviously, you know, when you're talking about not all those players are necessarily going to play center at the NHL level. So I think if you're talking about the likelihood of a guy signing, I think it would be Hellebuck. And I think the likelihood of the Jets keeping one player and losing them for nothing, it's more likely that's going to be Hellebuck, Dave. That's just my own opinion. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think the Jets want to lose either player for nothing. That's just not the way the Jets do business. No, and I, look, all I was going to say is, is that you, if you look at this, Traditionally, what the Jets do, and Drew, you, you've often referenced this, they like to have that contract extension signed and ready to go so they have something to announce to start training camp. We've seen it right. with Brian That's the Little. Declan Chisholm contract, Dave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're waiting. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting yeah. for FanFest. I don't think yeah. that's going to move the needle quite as much. Yeah, exactly. But uh, look, you've got, the, you've got a lot of examples where the Jets do that, where Kevin Shoveldayoff announces a, a, a signing uh, prior to the start of training camp or just as training camp is getting underway. So uh, that would be my thought process is that I don't think that they're going to go into the season with both of them in the final year. Maybe they do. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent certain one way or the other, but I would think that 
number one, it also creates a huge distraction with your hockey club because, you know, it's one thing for here uh, us in the Winnipeg media to be like, okay, and you talk about it at training camp. Is this going to be a distraction? Blah, blah, blah. The players have talked about it with us. Fine. But then they go on the road and every road journalist says to their teammates. So it becomes this, you know, story. And it becomes, as Drew said, it could be a story till all the way till March. Do you really want that sort of headache in your organization? But more importantly, what can you do from an organizational standpoint to tra- to to let these guys walk for a zero? And, you know, Spencey made the point that the Jets have had years of good service out of both. It's true, but it's also yeah. about asset management. And at the end of the day, you know, Connor Hellebuck is going to be worth assets. And Mark Shively is going to be worth assets assets and for a Jets club that needs to use its drafting and developing as part of its mantra you can't afford not to retain even if it's future assets something for for that because whatever the revenue is going to be for those playoff games and I'm not minimizing that that you know like you guys have talked about the Columbus sweep so Columbus got two rounds out of that um, you know that decision to keep uh, Bobrovsky and Panarin but, I mean, it hurt the club for years to come. And I think that that's like the cautionary tale for this Winnipeg Jets team is that don't be like Columbus. And so you're going to have to figure it out. And, yeah, Drew, you, you said it right. This is a, a, a problem of their own making. Mm-hmm. And so the only people who are going to come up with solutions are the, the brass and Kevin Sheveldayoff and his, and his crew, and they're going to have to figure it out. So would I, would I see them um, letting them both go for nothing. No, I'm with Ezzy. I, I don't see that as, as likely. I think that you have to, again, insulate your team because, and that's one thing we always talk about, right? People tend to focus on here and the now, the short term, but Kevin Sheveldayoff has to think what's going to happen to this team two, three, four years from now, even if he's no longer the GM, he still has to think in that matter because he still has to think like he's going to be the GM. And from his perspective, he I might don't still think, be the GM. <laughs> he may be still the GM. I don't, I, whatever. GM the, for life. Whatever, but I don't really care one way or the other. But my, my point is that he has to think about that. And, and you can't just say, okay, well, we got to only think about tomorrow. No, he's got to think about a lot of tomorrows. And that's why you have to plan accordingly. What do you think? Of, and we got to go to break you know, in a couple minutes. But what do you think about the comment in Elliot in, on the 32 Thoughts podcast about how the Jets are not forthcoming with some of the key members of their, of their team? regarding the future plans. And that's what the former player said. A former Winnipeg Jet player said to Elliot Friedman that the Jets keep everyone in the dark. So we know they keep the fan base in the dark. We've talked about that on the show uh, plenty of times. But what do you think about the fact that they, you know, they don't really share with the players themselves who they're asking to make a long-term contract, a long-term agreement with the team that they don't really tell them what the future holds or what the future plans are. That, to me, seems a little wrong-headed, if if, if you would, Ezzy. Yeah, well, it's not... You you don't like to hear that, right? Because, I mean, and I would love to know who the player was. Like, like, Mm -hmm. is it Blake Wheeler? That's kind of what I thought of first off. But obviously, we have no idea. We'd just be speculating about who the player was it doesn't matter um and we've been talking about this like you said drew in relation to the fan base right like it's been a couple of years now where it's not really clear to the fan base like is this jets like are the jets going for it and and like when we say going for it we mean a stanley cup not going for it like making the playoffs because as you mentioned drew yeah when you have enough talent like the jets have I mean, you, you, making the playoffs is just not good enough. I mean, the Jets have made the playoffs many times before and been knocked out in the first round or, or the second round, right? So, I mean, it's time for the Jets 
uh, to decide really what they're doing. So to hear it from a player's perspective is not that surprising because we know the Jets are one of the most secretive organizations, right? Like, like yeah. we we deal with it all the time, trying to get information um, and not re- really being clear about it, right? So uh, I'm not that surprised, but it's definitely not some... As a Jets fan, you don't like to hear that because you would think, Dave, that Jets management would be keeping the leaders and the core group of this team informed in terms of, of what they're going to do. But obviously they have their reasons for how they operate. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, like I, <clears throat> like I said, and I know Drew wants to go to break, so we, I'll just keep it quick. Uh, like I said, I, I listened to the audio and that's exactly was our assessment coming back from listening to the media availabilities with the players at the exit meetings. What's the vision? We weren't sure as to the, what uh, that was. And it was clear the players weren't, uh, aware of what that was, and that's confirmed now by what Friedman's reporting. Yeah, it seems like something the Jets would want to address, just so that you keep your core employees happy. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to pull the 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 blinds back altogether. You don't have to make it a complete, open, and transparent book. But at least have, if you're asking people to commit to you for a, a for a number of years, it'd be good to know what the plan is moving forward. We go to break. When we come back, Mike McIntyre of the Winnipeg Free Press joins us. Saturday morning, the Illegal Curve Hockey Show rolls on. Saturday morning, welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg, and we're pleased to welcome back to the program our very good friend from the Winnipeg Free Press, Mike McIntyre, joins us on the show. Mike, good morning. Happy summer to you. How was it? Did you have a good one? Did you be able to get away, kick up your feet a little bit? It uh, it was a great summer, guys. Yeah, we uh, are the family, the McIntyre clan, went on a uh, a week long Caribbean cruise. We managed to avoid uh, any hurricanes as we <laughs> sailed the uh, the Atlantic. Um, got some golf in, not quite as much as I would have liked. I think I'm at 11 rounds this year. My goal was 15, so hopefully we, we get Kenny, a. Uh, Kenny plays 11 rounds in a day, Mike. So you, you got to step up he, your game if you want to be in an 11 world. round uh, challenge or something in in 24 <laughs> hours. Yeah, Mike. But Mike, by the way, w- w- the illegal curve invite to the media golf tournament i i they must have been lost in the mail because i don't remember receiving it well you know i i think that's what happens when you send it by snail mail guys uh <laughs> Blame it, it should get there thing. any day now i i imagine well mike i I'm, personally look, can't complain because jay bell invited me to his cottage uh to listen to his band perform and i didn't show up because uh oh. our, our kids were sick that night because the the bell family cottage is close to ours around lac de Bonny, right and i didn't show up so i i can't complain because i got a very personal invite to a very an intimate evening at jason bell's cottage him. and i snubbed him so i'm yeah. i'm in the j bell bad books uh and J- jay's band's actually playing at the norvilla in a couple of weeks and he's already let people close to him know that uh Anybody who doesn't show up to watch him is dead to him, I believe were his exact words. So, so Mike, you're saying I can make it up to him if I show up at the North Carolina. There is a chance. Uh, it's a couple weekends from now. I think the 22nd and the 23rd, uh, Marjorie Jam, by the way, that's the name of, of his band for those. Uh, Who's Marjorie? Wanted, you know, maybe get, get their all their albums. Uh, do they still have albums, guys? Those Marjorie Jam probably would have albums. I wonder if they do any Pearl Jam covers. Yeah, I mean, they, they are definitely not nearly the most popular jam when it comes to bands in the world. Marjorie Jam would be a distant second to Pearl Jam. Um, but I, I actually have heard them perform. They're, they are pretty good. So you missed out, Ezzy. Uh, but yeah, maybe we'll see you at the Norvilla in a couple weeks. Uh, right 
Um, but yeah, I, you know, I know I've said this guys before. Ken Weeb is the social coordinator and the ah. golf, the golf organizer. So any and all complaints should be sent in his direction. Um, I just do, I just show up when I'm told <laughs> to show up and play. Uh, and I don't play very well, of course. Um, but yeah, so a uh, little golf, a uh, little uh, little vacation time, yard work, all that. Pretty good weather. I'm I'm still waiting to see my first mosquito this year. Yeah, a lot um, of wasps. No mosquitoes. There are a lot of wasps. I think yeah. I think the wasps ate all the mosquitoes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's nice to you know summer was great. Um, I love this time of year though. I know you guys do too. Uh, you know, there's a, a bit of a chill in the air and. Uh, I've been down to the rink a couple of times already in the past week just to watch some of the the Jets as they trickle in. And uh, yeah, definitely gearing up for what should be another really exciting season of uh, of hockey coverage uh, in this market. Well, speaking about golf, Mike, golf and hockey coming together yesterday uh, yes. with the Josh Morrissey Golf Tournament in support of the Dream Factory, which and you had an opportunity to talk to Josh about the upcoming season, about his off season in general. You know, what was your sort of, I guess, your main takeaway from your conversation about the, you know, where where the mindset of Josh Morrissey right now as we rapidly approach the beginning of the twenty three twenty four season. Well, I, I saw and heard a guy that's, you know, hungry to prove that last year wasn't just a, a one-off or an outlier, that that's the new norm as to who and what Josh Morrissey is. Uh, and, you know, certainly for those who followed the, the team last year, Josh Morrissey at times was a man possessed on the ice. You know, he, he could take over games, mm-hmm. and he did. Uh, I still, you know, I look back to that game against the Blues I can't remember the day it was, yeah. I think maybe January, um, but whenever, I mean, the, the, the Jets had nothing going that night and, you know, they were listless and lifeless and Josh Morrissey kind of single-handedly put the team on his back and, you know, uh, everyone remembers his his very animated celebration after his first goal and then he'd score later again. And, you know, to me, that was the night maybe Josh Morrissey kind of staked his claim to be the next captain of, of the hockey team. He carried himself like a captain would. And, and you know, we we are used to dealing with Josh Morrissey. Very few players, if any, deal with the media as much as he does. And, you know, he handles it exceptionally well. And yesterday was a great time to just kind of see Josh Morrissey outside the hockey environment and the way he handles himself in the community. Uh, he's the ambassador for Dream Factory, um, you know, to see him interact with the kids and families and stuff. Uh, this is a guy very much in his natural element. And, you know, so as I as I talked to him and as I watched him yesterday, my takeaways were um, he's hungry for more to take on more responsibility. And that could include the captaincy, something I asked him directly about. And he he, he was very excited about the, the the prospect and said, you know, it would be a great honor and something he um, would, would very much enjoy doing. Uh, of course, he's a team guy, so he's quick to deflect that we've got other guys on the team that could do it. Um, but, you know, and then for him to say that uh, I'm, I'm trying to be better than I was last year, um, you know, that's, a, that's an encouraging sign for the Jets. Um, as we know, there's been some changes up front to this team. The blue line, though, looks identical uh, in terms of the personnel that's back. Um, obviously there'd be a couple young guys that hope to maybe push their way into the conversation, but if Josh Morrissey 
could, you know, come close or even exceed his production last year, uh, that would bode very well for the Jets. And, and one other thing, guys, he's also got an extra bit of motivation because I think everyone remembers how his season ended in great mm-hmm. disappointment with that injury on pretty much the first shift of game three and the Jets, you know, they, they just weren't the same without Josh Morrissey. They didn't win again in the playoffs. And so, you know, he, he called that heartbreaking the way his season ended. And uh, I suspect we'll see a guy who's just absolutely chomping at the bit to get going here and to, you know, to really take another step in his career and for the team as well. And I think, Mike, you'd agree, after Morrissey went down, it was kind of like, okay, the Jets have no chance at, at beating yeah. the Golden Golden Knights, right? And just listening to you talk about Josh Morrissey, like, he's the real deal. Like, he's a class act. Like, no, like you know, you, you talk about, like, the good guys in hockey. Like, Morrissey is one of those good guys in hockey. Like, Eric Comrie was a guy that we always used yeah. to talk about. Like, he's the, the real deal. And I think you'd agree, nobody's going to be surprised if he's the next captain of the Jets. I think Adam Lowry would be a great captain of the Jets as well, but... When you talk about, you know, everything that Morrissey stands for, his play on the ice, like you said, how many times over the years has he put the Jets on his back? So I think Morrissey would be an amazing captain and, you know, just, you know, great to read that article and hear that he's continuing to to do great things in the community. And I wanted to ask you about kind of more the depth defenseman, Mike, because as you mentioned, I mean, the, the Jets top six is exactly the same as last year. Right. And, I, and I don't think anybody's surprised. I think everyone expects Declan Chisholm to sign. I don't think this is going to be a holdout situation or anything like like that he's going to sign a shorter term contract but what is your kind of like when you look at the the Jets we know that like I said I mean Dylan Sandberg is going to be your third pairing left shot defenseman I mean we know all the other guys but like Logan Stanley that contract was a little bit weird to me like is he your seventh defenseman is Kyle Capobianco your seventh defenseman like is like Vili Hainola I think you would agree has the talent to make the team but as it stands now it kind of seems like you know, Vili Hainola and Declan Chisholm, like these guys are, there's a good chance they're going to spend the majority of the year with the Moose. Yeah. And the thing with Vili that works against him again is that he's waiver exempt, right? Mm-hmm. So just by process, and Declan Chisholm will not be. Um, and did the Jets want to risk another Johnny Kovacevich <laughs> situation from last year uh, where you lose another guy who you've drafted and, and put, you know, resources into his development and lose him for nothing? So, um, you know, if I'm the Jets, and I said this last year, and I know Kyle Capobianco ended up kind of being, you know, he, he was the ultimate kind of company guy, right? He barely played, but he never complained. Uh, and when he'd come in, he'd, he'd actually play well. Um, and so they they wanted to hold on to him all year. I, I was still surprised, though, that he wasn't the guy they waved over Kovacevic. And I'd be equally surprised, maybe more surprised, if if they waive Declan Chisholm over Capo Bianco, um, which would create a situation where Stanley and Chisholm are perhaps your seven, eight, and Capo Bianco is maybe the guy that goes to the moose, provided he clears waivers. And Vili, unfortunately, has to wait another year. Now, I suppose the the light at the end of the tunnel for Vili would be that um, there's a couple contracts that are up to expire this year. Brendan Dillon, Dylan DeMello are entering their final years. Um, so I suppose by process of likely elimination, there's a couple job openings a year from now. Um, but, you know, this is a kid who the year after the Jets drafted him, got a sniff of the NHL and didn't look out of place. And I think because of that, everyone just assumed 
that he'd be a regular the very next year. Well, that didn't happen. And here we are now a couple years later still talking about where his role is on this team. I mean, I think at the end of the day, guys, if you're Rick Bonus, you can't afford to, you know, play favorites or play guys based on what their contract status is. You got to play your six best. And I, you know, I, maybe that sounds kind of hollow and empty, but if Vili can come to camp and have a terrific training camp, could he force a decision, whether it's somebody else going on waivers, a Logan Stanley, for example, um, or a trade, you know, maybe there's teams and we know sometimes teams get banged up in training camp and maybe a need they didn't think they had suddenly comes up. I personally thought we'd see a blue liner or two, a veteran one get moved this off season. That hasn't happened. There's still time, I suppose, for that to happen. But yeah, I mean, to me, the blue line is a really interesting storyline, one where nothing's happened around it yet, <laughs> but it feels like we're getting to a point where inevitably something's got to give. And as I sit here today, I can't say exactly what that's going to be. All I know is that there's too many guys on one-way deals for the number of spots available and so some decisions are going to be made and some risk is probably going to have to be taken as well. Mike McIntyre of the Winnipeg Free Press is our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Saturday morning, we do this from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. every single Saturday. Well, Mike, the headline blaring, our singular focus is winning with Hellebuck and Shifley. And if you ask folks on this show, what we were talking about months ago is we didn't think either of those guys were going to be dealt. But, you know, of course, some of the insiders like Pierre Lebrun were, were slamming the door shut on that, saying Connor Hellebuck will not sign another contract with the Winnipeg Jets. And now suddenly Elliot Friedman yesterday saying, don't close the door on that contract just yet. Now, I suspect that's because Connor Hellebuck has looked around the league and seen that there's not a tremendous demand from the teams he would want to play on. So obviously that would play a role. And maybe he's like, well, maybe Winnipeg isn't so bad. But what do you take? From this situation, we were just discussing it before you came on, the idea if the Jets will try and do what they kind of like to do, which Chevy likes to unveil a contract signing extension, usually during training camp, or do you see them going into the season with those two guys, both in the final years of their deal? Well, as the summer wore on, I mean, I became more convinced that at the very least, they were going to be Winnipeg Jets to start the season. Um, because it just doesn't seem like, you know, Kevin Shoveldayoff has taken the temperature of, of other teams around the league, and clearly he's not impressed by what he's seen. And at this point, he's not prepared to just give these players away for nothing, which is risky because, of course, if he waits too long, losing them for nothing is what very likely could happen. And, you know... If you're the Winnipeg Jets, a small market team that isn't going to be at the top of trade lists and free agency lists, um, it's it's a tough way to do business to potentially lose guys for nothing. Just like if you're the Calgary Flames and you watch Johnny Gaudreau walk for nothing, uh, that's not conducive to long-term success. So it's risky, but we know Kevin Shoveldayoff, one thing we really know about Kevin Shoveldayoff in his 12 years at the helm is he's extremely patient, sometimes to the frustration of fans, I know, but he doesn't panic. 
Um, and, you know, if, if he's going to play the waiting game, certainly it's a risky game. Um, I'd have to think that, you know, come the trade deadline, um, you, you hit a point now where now you're really boxing yourself into a corner. And I've outlined some of the reasons why that's really risky. What if the Jets are in a playoff spot? Um, what kind of message would that send to the room and the fan base to now move your number one goalie and your number one center? But the idea of circling back and perhaps getting extensions with these players, I've always believed that Mark Shifley, there was at least a possibility of that happen, happening, whereas Connor Hellebuck, I was convinced there was no chance to hear that that door might not entirely be shut on Connor Hellebuck has got to be really encouraging news for the Jets. And I do wonder, guys, kind of out loud here, if, you know, we've all been, we've all assumed that like an eight-year extension or something like that is, is what the player would be after. I wonder, is there a possibility of like a two-year, like a, basically a bridge deal at this point? Sure. And you don't hear bridge deals for players of that magnitude and, and of that age, but... Maybe if you looked around and you didn't like what you saw right now and you know the cap's going up probably significantly in a couple of years, do you just kick it down the road a little more if you're Connor Hellebuck and say, you know what, I'll I'll do two more years here and then we'll revisit it. And then, you know, maybe it's not an eight-year deal in two years, but a six-year deal that you could really ca- – I don't know the answer to that. But well, I Mike, couldn't, couldn't you look like to – sorry, sorry to interrupt you, possible but... now couldn't you look to Austin Matthews as a bit of a comparison, right? Like yeah. not the exact same player, but he signed a four-year deal when a lot of people thought he was going to sign a, let's say six, seven or eight-year sure. deal, right? So if it's not a two-year deal, maybe it's a three or four-year deal. So it's it's a good point. I think the likelihood of, of Hellebuck signing, you know, a shorter-term deal um, is higher than than a longer-term deal, Yeah. right? And, and, and I think that covers you, especially with when you're talking about Shifley, because you know at his age, I mean, his prime years are now. But once he gets to around 34, 35, you know that production, there's a good chance that's going to dip. For sure. And again, if let's let's assume Connor Hellebuck's being completely honest when he says that he just wants to win. A two-year deal would would give the Jets, the organization, another couple years to, I guess, sell Connor Hellebuck on the idea of finishing his career with the team he started it with. Um, and again, you hear, you know, with Elliot Friedman and, and Pierre Lebrun and, and the comments from Chevy at the meetings yesterday about just, you know, we're just focused on winning. I know there's a lot of people in this market that think, you know, you almost have to take a step back before you can truly take a step forward. The idea of, of kind of tearing down and rebuilding, um, this isn't breaking news, guys. The idea of rebuilding has never been on the plate of Kevin Chevaldeoff. And we know that because he told us that, as did a lot of the core players, that they look at a retool, not a rebuild. And so whether you agree with that concept or not, you can't argue that that's the approach the Jets are taking here. And so um, we shouldn't be all that surprised that they would be willing and to perhaps do anything possible to keep these players because it fits with the mindset of, Hey, they can help us now and we're trying to win now. Mm -hmm. And that's really all we're focusing on. Unless the, unless a deal like the Dubois deal comes their way where they feel they got players back that not only help now, but in the future, um, you know, the jets were never interested in 
picks and prospects for Mark Shifley and, and Connor Hellebuck. And it would appear that that's all that's been offered at this point, which is why the Jets have walked away. Kevin Shoveldayoff's hung up the phone. Well, you know, Mike, so if the Jets are going to start the year with Shifley and Hellebuck, you know, still as members of the team, and it appears as though that's strongly going to be the case, should that, that, wouldn't it make sense for the Jets to almost lean in even more in trying to win this year? You know, trying to really, you know, even fortify the current roster even further, you know, you know, I know it's easier said than done, especially at this time of year. But, you know, you know, shouldn't the Jets really be leaning into that even more? Not necessarily mortgaging the future, right. but really sort of adopting that, you know, the L.A. Rams attitude of, you know, F them picks like they did when they won that Super Bowl. You know, banners fly forever as the as the expression goes. Wouldn't it be incumbent on the Jets almost to not be half pregnant, but really try and be an aggressor this year, especially with Shifley and Hellebuck still under contract? Well, and here's where all uh, Piper, by the way. Is yeah, right we want to see Piper. We want to see Piper. Yeah, hi, Piper. Say hi to the. Uh, there we go. Is, is Piper <laughs> rowdy? Is is she, is she rowdy? No, she's drowsy right now. Yeah. <laughs> she hasn't had her morning coffee yet. Um, so here's where I, I might offer a little bit of a hot take. In my personal opinion, guys, the Winnipeg Jets going into camp you know, and, and what they're likely to come out of camp looking like, they are a better team than they were a year ago. And this is a Winnipeg Jets team that got off to a pretty darn good start through half of last season. They were kind of hanging with the heavyweights of the Central. And I say that they're a better team, certainly on paper, because, yes, the blue line is the same. I think the goaltending is better because I, I like Lauren Brassois over David Riddick. I think they have more insurance at the backup position. I think Brassois has proven that he can take on more responsibility, which might mean for a more rested and, and better Connor Hellebuck. But where I really think the Jets are a better team this year than they were a year ago in camp is at the forward position. And again, you just have to look at what the team looked like. You know, they had Stenlin and Manalainen, and they had to grab Janssen Fialbi off waivers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and they had Jansen Harkins in the mix and Toninato. We don't even talk really about those guys now because, you know, they added Niederreiter and Nemestikov at the trade deadline. Niederreiter had terms, so he'll be here to start the year. Nemestikov, they went and re-signed. And yes, they've lost Pierre-Luc Dubois and Blake Wheeler. But they've replaced those two guys, if you want to look at it that way, with Gabe Velarde, whose numbers were actually fairly similar to, to Pierre-Luc Dubois last year, Alex Ayafalo, and a really interesting young player in Rasmus Kapari. Then you've got Nikolai Ehlers, who presumably isn't going to, you hope, knock on wood, <laughs> isn't going to go down with injury in game two. You've got Cole Perfetti, who is a year older and you hope can finally stay healthy. And then you've got... Some guys, you know, whether it's Brad Lambert or Chaz Lucius, who you hope are going to push for jobs and and potentially be in the mix. I just think the forward group right now is is a lot more intriguing and there's a lot more possibilities on how you can work this lineup. And the Jets are a lot deeper up front, in my opinion. Uh, and so, you know, I to your point, Drew, I think they're prepared to see what they have this year. And on paper, um, I know they got a bit of a tough schedule to start the year, but I think there's the potential that this group 
can be competitive if they keep them all intact. Especially, don't forget, Mark Shifley, for all the knocks against him, Mark Shifley should be a very motivated player this year. He's playing for his next contract. He doesn't have one after this year. If Mark Shifley wants to get paid Mm -hmm. the way we think Mark Shifley wants to get paid, he better go out and prove that he can be more than just a one-dimensional hockey player. And, you know, Connor Hellebuck's playing for his next contract too. Let me me ask you this about Shifley there, uh, Mike. You mentioned that. Do you think that he maybe got a dose of reality this offseason when, you know, I mean, you have to assume that Kevin Dayoff explored what the market, you know, had in, right. you know had for Mark Shifley, and there wasn't a market there. Does that give Mark Shifley that dose of reality in saying, look, yes, you can score goals, but you're so woefully bad in your own, uh, in, on the defensive side of things, that this is your perception around the league, that you are, you're not worth the your defensive liabilities are not worth your offensive upside. Is that a dose of reality that you think he may maybe finally took to heart, or is he still you know on the Adam Oates train of the only thing that matters is scoring goals? Yeah, I, I think there probably would be a bit of a reality check there if you think that you know teams are going to be tripping over themselves to retain your services or to potentially get your services. And that that bidding war that maybe you thought would be there just hasn't developed. I also wonder, guys, what does Mark Shifley look like on the ice behind the scenes where we don't see him now that Blake Wheeler is out of the picture and to a degree Pierre-Luc Dubois as well? Mm -hmm. This is Mark Shifley is once again the undisputed number one center on the team as it's constructed right now. Um, you know, when Dubois came in, there was a lot of talk about a 1A and 1B, and and Dubois was the heir apparent to Mark Shifley. Pierre-Luc Dubois is gone. Um, the Jets have some intriguing options at center, you know, for the second line, whether it's Velarde or Perfetti or Nemesnikov. Adam Lowry, of course, is in that third-line center spot, and we don't expect that to change. But Mark Shifley is the number one center on this team. He'll be on the top power play. Um, and again, he needs to have a big year. So I just wonder for a lot of reasons, you know, he, he and Blake Wheeler were attached at the hip for the longest time. Blake Wheeler's gone now. Um, you know, and I don't know the answer to that. I just wonder that out loud if we see a bit of a different Mark Shifley, another year older, maybe a year wiser, some different, a different makeup in the room, um, a big season that he needs to have on a personal level. And maybe the Jets do see a different and improved Mark Shifley. And if they do, that's obviously to the, um, to the overall success of the team, which is what they're aiming for here. So Mike, you mentioned it, undisputed. He's like Roman Reigns. He's the undisputed number, (laughs) number one center, right? Like the bloodline, right? Shout out to the bloodline. Um, But I don't know if that, if that makes me Jey Uso. I'm not sure if you, I mean, I know Mike follows. That makes you you Sammy Zane as he is. You got the beard. He's Canadian, isn't he? I think I look more like Kevin Owens, but. Um, yeah, I don't know if that means I'm going to sneak up behind Bruce Boudreaux, uh, Mike, at the draft, but uh, that would be that would be uh, fun to meet him. But uh, either of them, Boudreaux or Kevin Owens. Yes. But I, the question I want to ask you, and we're going to be talking about this, like training camp starts in a week and a half. We're going to be talking about this before training camp, during training camp at the beginning of the season. But the 2C, because as we mentioned, Mark Shifley is the undisputed number one center. Everybody knows that. There's a lot of options there. Gabe Velarde, Cole Perfetti, 
Vladislav Nemesnikov. Are you of the opinion that it's going to be whoever plays the best is going to get that spot? Or do you think there's a front runner? Because I think the Jets would love if Gabe Velarde was that guy. Um, and, and Cole Perfetti obviously is a natural center, but he's played yeah. on the wing. Like, who do you see? I know it's a, a tough question, but that's obviously why that's what makes covering hockey fun. Like, who do you think emerges as that as that second C? And and when do you think that happens? Because I right now I, I I don't know if there is a clear cut guy that plays two C. Like it, it could easily be Nemesnikov, but I'm kind of leaning more to Velarde. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the third option. I'm actually leaning more to Cole Perfetti. I think Cole Perfetti mm-hmm. gets the longest runway in camp. Um, you know, I had a good chat with Cole uh, a few weeks back over the phone. He was uh, back in Ontario training. And, you know, it was interesting to hear him talk um, and say that he actually thinks playing center uh, would be better to his hockey health. And this is a kid who's obviously suffered a few injuries now. Um, you know, playing the wing, there's certain you know, responsibilities that come with playing the wing, going into the corners, you're up against some big, strong defensemen, and he's taken a bit of a beating, um, you know, sometimes going into those corners. Uh, Cole Perfetti, who, you know, is a natural center, played center all in his junior career, um, was playing center with, you know, in in the minors, but has really not got a, a bit of a look at center in the NHL at this point. Uh, I do wonder, guys, if he's kind of the first option that they look at, and maybe with Gabe Velarde on his wing, um, depending on what they do with the lines. But I, I, you know, and and obviously if Gabe Velarde gets a look there and and plays really well, I mean, again, I think at the end of the day, it's all about what what's best for the team, and Rick Bonus is going to make those decisions with that in mind. But I do think Cole Perfetti, at least just maybe because of his, his recent history, um, you know, he's their, their own guy, um, that they give him a look there and it, I'm interested to see what he can do. And maybe more importantly, if he can stay healthy, because, you know, I think the jets could really use Cole Perfetti for 82 games, something that, that hasn't happened yet. Um, and he certainly showed some promising signs last year when he was in the lineup, um, this is a big year, I think, for Cole Perfetti for a lot of reasons. And I think the chance to play center is among the reasons that it's a big year. Banjo Bowl prediction, Mike? Oh, I think we're going to get a bomber beatdown in that they're going to yeah. deliver the beatdown. Yes. Um, they, <laughs> are, they are an angry bunch. Um, and I, I, don't think they, I don't think they'd be content with just beating the Rough Riders, they want to throttle the Rough Riders. And, you know, if if things go if things go well for the Bombers early and the crowds into it, like I could just see I could just see this, you know, being a uh, a bloodline style beatdown as you <laughs> to borrow your phrase. By the way, I love I love the guy in the chat that said you're 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 more CM Punk. Uh, as he and that you're you're the outcast who's uh, what's well, funny, Mike, because I'm the farthest thing from straight edge, so uh, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not sure about CM Punk. 
I think he's been kicked out of AEW like twice now, but uh, he has. Hey, yeah. I'll take I'll take it. I lo- you know I, we've talked wrestling before. We both love wrestling, so we anytime do. we can get the wrestling chat going, it's good. <laughs> and I would I would say that the Illegal Curve crew and Mike McIntyre is definitely a cult of personality. If you want there to you bring go. it back like, to oh, the CM Punk. just to finish on that theme, the Bombers will be laying the SmackDown. Yeah, uh, on the uh, I'm with you on, on that, Mike. Riders. Forty Today, plus anything points less sure. would be a surprise. Yeah. There you go. Mike McIntyre, he's a columnist for the Winnipeg Free Press. He's a good friend of our show. Mike, we'll see you again real soon. Training camp right around the corner of the season, not that uh, far after. Be well, Mike. Thanks for joining us. You bet, guys. All the best. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Mike McIntyre this Saturday morning here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We go to break. Hustlers in the chat. You know it's a party on a Saturday morning. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, John Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party, even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. But why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself, and somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit Rollies.com. Hi, it's Drew from Illegal Curve here. Selling your home can be stressful, but it wasn't for me. Thanks to my friends at Zapia Group Realty, they made the process so easy. My home sold within 48 hours and with multiple offers. Zapia Group Realty took care of everything with their exquisite customer service and attention to detail. If you want to sell your home for more in less time, get started by talking to Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Online at zapiagroup.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed Fanalytics to help optimize no-look dipping. Ooh, making adjustments so you can stay focused on the game. The playoffs of Boston Pizza, powered by Fanalytics. Hour number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show rolls on on this Saturday morning. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg with you. At the bottom of the hour, Ryan Clark, ESPN national writer, is going to join us to talk about the entire offseason. Look around the league, a little bit of Jets talk as well with Ryan. We're thrilled that he's going to be able to join us coming up in about uh, 20 or so minutes time. You know, uh, we talked to Mike about it, and that's the issue about the Winnipeg Jets captaincy. 
And he wrote in his article, it's in today's Winnipeg Free Press, that Rick Bonus is expected to name a captain either before or during training camp, which officially gets underway in about uh, 10 or 11 days' time. Uh, you know, that to me, in, the, in and of itself, was a bit of a surprise. I wasn't sure if the Jets were necessarily going to go with a captain this year, given, uh, you know, the, the obviously the, the, I'm not going to say the upheaval because that's not the right word, but just sort of some of the uncertainty that still exists about this team with the status of Shifley and less so with the status of Helba because I don't think the Jets were going to pull a Canucks-Luongo situation. But, you know, let me ask you guys this. If you had your uh, choice of captain for the Winnipeg Jets, who would you select? Or, as an alternative, do you think the Jets may have been better off or would be better off going without a captain for another year this season, Ezzy? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we all know it's going to be Josh Morrissey or Adam Lowry, right? We can agree on, we can all agree on that. I don't think yeah. many people in the chat uh, watching live or listening on the podcast are, are going to disagree with that, especially guys with what happened last year, right? Like specifically with Morrissey, right? Like I still think, you know, that he should have been a Norris Trophy finalist. I don't think he would have won it because Eric Carlson and, and his 101 points I yeah. think sealed the deal. Uh, so I, I do think that it's between Morrissey and Lowry. And I think, you know, 99.9% .9 of people agree with that. I would go with Morrissey. And it has nothing to do with, like, it's not like, you know, we're saying Morrissey is better than Lowry or anything like that. I mean, Adam Lowry has been, you know, a, a, he's the definition of a loyal soldier, right? Like Adam Lowry does, if you want Adam Lowry to drop the gloves, he'll drop the gloves. If you need Adam Lowry to win a big face-off, he'll win a big face-off, kill a penalty, you know, score a goal. Like I realize that, you know, Lowry, you know, isn't a 40 goal scorer like Shifley, but he's a guy that, you know, has chipped in a lot of offense over the years. So I think, you know, it, it, for me, the re main reason why it's Josh Morrissey is for the simple fact that this is the guy that I think, you know, leads by example, both on and off the ice. And there's, when you talk about captains and all those good qualities, Dave, like Josh Morrissey checks all the boxes, right? So I, I think Josh Morrissey is going to be the cap next captain of the Jets. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be a great decision. Is there a chance? You, I mean, like, would the Jets be better off not having a captain? I'm old school. I like having a captain on your team. I realize that, you know, other teams have the reasons for not naming a captain. Maybe there there isn't one that's, you know, as obvious, right, Dave? But for me, Josh Morrissey is going to be the next captain of the Jets. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting topic of conversation, something we've talked about for a long time. I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with either of those two players. I mean, I know Drew mentioned the whole connectivity that they had to Blake Wheeler and, and that sort of thing. Um, and how they thought everything was fine in the room uh, last year. So are you really going to connect, you know, wanting to move forward with, with guys who are in that mindset? But I think if you look at the sum of everything those guys have done in this organization since they were drafted by the Jets, uh, you know, many, many years ago now, I, I don't think there's any question that those guys have made a commitment to this city and this organization. And I, and I really, again, you look at the timeline like Morrissey obviously is the longest signed player left in on the team signed till 27 28 whereas Lowry I think is 25 26 I believe for him so yeah he's signed till 25 26 so so Morrissey's got a few more years and you really can't go wrong with either player I was on the the Josh Morrissey train for a long time it seemed like a lot of folks uh last towards the end of last season were really saying it was going to be Adam Lowry uh, and I, again, I've, I, I've been in the room with these guys. You hear the way they 
interact with their teammates. You hear the way they interact with their um, with the media. They are well respected by both by both groups. So so I don't know that you're gonna you're gonna make a bad choice for either of those players. And again, I've heard good arguments for both to be the captain. So to me, uh, I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you can go wrong. I mean, again, like I said, I to me, I've always been impressed by Josh Morrissey since I covered him with the Manitoba Moose. And I've been always been impressed by Adam Lowry. You know, I mean, he's got a personality. He, he's a little bit more like more Morrissey's pretty, pretty straight. Like Lowry will make a few more uh, jokes and, and that sort of thing. And, and of course, nothing better than the time he picked up Paul Friesen uh, in, in, in the, <laughs> after a practice where we were all, all the media was standing around and I'm watching and every single player, you got to understand just to paint a picture for, for everybody who's, who's in the chat right now, we were, when you go in after a practice, it's a lot different than a, after a game. It's way better environment because everybody's just relaxed, regardless of what's really going on. Players are, but they still get out of there pretty quickly. So you can talk to them. They're casual. <laughs> they still don't want to. They're still not chatting too, 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 too intensely. That's right. They're not gonna. They're not gonna. Generally speaking, you're not gonna have 100 percent of the room still yeah. there when you get into the room. But in this instance, they all were. They were all sitting at their lockers, and you could just see, like, they're all waiting and watching. And we're, to be honest with you, you feel like lunch because you're just sitting in the middle of this, of this, <laughs> of all the players who are sitting at their, their three quarter, three sides of the locker room, and you're waiting. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then all of a sudden, Adam Lowry walks in, doesn't say anything, picks up Paul Friesen, gives him a bear hug, literally lifts him off the ground, and then puts him down. And then, of course, the entire room busts out laughing. And uh, Paul got a column out of it, as he likes to say. So, uh, but so what I'm saying is, Lowry has a personality, as does Josh Morrissey. So, I, I really, I don't think you're going to go. I don't think you'll make a bad decision with either of those players. Look, I, I agree with your with you with your comment that there's it's not there's not a wrong answer here. Uh, if you're asking me my opinion, I, I would defer to Lowry a little bit. My concern would be that you know so much is expected of Morrissey offensively and defensively on this team that if there's any little slip or if the pressure of being captain uh, could, could potentially lead to, to any sort of slip on either side of the thing on either side of his play, it's going to be so magnified that I wonder if it becomes almost more of a detriment, the captaincy than necessarily something that he can build upon with Adam Lowry. Look, you're not expecting Adam Lowry to get 20 goals or 25 goals anymore at this point of his career. I mean, you know, he's he's hard-pressed to often get a dozen goals. So Adam Lowry can still be a contributing member of the team, and I don't think the captaincy is going to burden him in terms of his on-ice play. So I would just lean to Lowry that way, but I don't think it's going to be uh, I, I think you won't go wrong with either decision. Exactly. And the that thing is, guys, I think, I think, sorry, I was just going to say, Drew, I think, you know, before, remember what you were going to say there yeah. uh, before I rudely interrupted, obviously. Yes. Uh, I think what we're seeing, guys, is it's, it's definitely, and I hate, you know, using this cliche, but with Blake Wheeler leaving, Pierre-Luc mm -hmm. Dubois leaving, even though Dubois was only here for a few seasons, when we're we're more so talking about Wheeler here, it's a passing of the torch, right? And I think arguably the Jets' leadership situation has never been in a better situation, right? I, I'm 100% on board. I think most Jets fans would be just as fine with Lowry as the captain as they would be with Morrissey as the captain. So I think that's the thing that people need to focus on here. It's not a competition between who's the better leader, Lowry or Morrissey, because these guys have proven year after year they're both already leaders. Right, like there are, they've been leaders on this team for many, many years. That's what I think. My takeaway is that this is a passing of the torch. This is now 
Lowry, Morrissey, Shifley, Connor, Ehlers' room as opposed to being, you know, Blake Wheeler's room. And before that, Andrew Ladd's room. And then you had other, you know, veteran players. So that's what I think should be just as much as the focus that the Jets have a couple of really good leaders in Lowry and Morrissey. And, and they check all the boxes in terms of the type of people they are, the way they conduct themselves in the community, you know, with mm-hmm. not-for-profit organizations, everything like that. So that's all I wanted to say. Leadership has been an issue in the dressing room in for years now. And I think Lowry and Morrissey, these are well-liked guys like Lowry and Morrissey other players respect these guys for the way they conduct themselves on and off the ice that's all I wanted to say I do think though that you know it's not going to be Mark Shifley I mean I don't believe you know I I, I'm a betting man and I would bet a lot of money I could see the A sticking but I don't think he's going to be the C no I I think an A on his jersey is one thing but I don't think he's going to be the guy and I do think that's going to bother him I do think that there is going to be a part of him that is upset, not necessarily that he's he's not going to get it, but that he's not even really in the running for it. And I think that... Well, how do you give the guy the C in the last year of his contract, too? That, that Certainly that, as he absolutely, but also the fact that you know his play and his performance on the ice and some of his responses to criticism or... You know, when being when being told that he he's not he his play hasn't been up to snuff, you know, hasn't been captain material is what I would describe it as. But I do think that is going to be another sort of uh you know knock against him re-signing here in Winnipeg and the Jets, you know, conversely wanting him to re-sign here in Winnipeg. Look, it, it, I, I I do think that the two sides are just going to go their separate ways unless there's a dramatic shift in attitude. And I think that shift in attitude has to be Mark Shifley's shift in attitude. I don't think it's anything that the organization has done or needs to change. And you know, everyone who listens to this show knows that I'm not shy about being critical uh, to, uh, regarding the Jets and the organization in True North. But I think that they've treated Mark Shifley as well as he could possibly expect to be treated. And he hasn't responded in kind. And so I think that's another, you know, this is another, uh, you know, brushback to his attitude and to his on-ice performance that a guy who, by all accounts, should be in consideration for the captaincy isn't really, you know, what I will describe as, you know, uh, it would be a stunner if it ends up being Mark Shifley as opposed to Josh Morrissey or Adam Lowry, I would say. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know that he has the makeup to be a captain, quite frankly. And I think that, you know, one of the things you have to realize after giving Blake Wheeler the captaincy is it can't just be about a guy who's good in the room with the players, right? It has to be, there's a lot of facets. You have to be the guy who answers questions more often than not. And really you want someone who's thoughtful and thoughtful is Adam Lowry and thoughtful is Josh Morrissey. And I agree with your point, Drew, about, um, you know, does that add a lot of pressure to Morrissey and change when he's got to be focused on his, being the number one defenseman for this Jets club? And whereas Adam Lowry doesn't have that same sort of expectation, so he can have a little bit more thrown on his shoulders uh, throughout the course of the season, including obviously having to deal with us and some of the inane questions we tend to ask. But um, <laughs> I, I, I would, yeah, I don't think that Mark Shifley, from what we've seen of him in terms of his um, media. Uh, appearances would necessarily have that sort of captaincy constitution, I would say. So look, I mean, 
Blake Wheeler talked about it being an honor, and I don't think I don't think there's any question that it is an honor to be regarded in that way by your teammates and by the you know around the league to be a captain of a Canadian team. I think it is a significant achievement, but at the same time, it comes with a big you know a lot of a lot of added responsibility. And some of these players are happy just to play hockey and not deal with the media as frequently as they did. Blake Wheeler still talked last year, but clearly not as much as he had to. And I think from you know Mark Scheifele's perspective, it's probably a, a good thing as well. So. I understand your point. I just don't think that, you know, I think it's almost one of those things. In theory, it sounds great. Mark Scheifele, your best center, being your captain. Again, obviously you're not doing that unless he's signing a long-term extension and committing to the city and committing to the, you know, that whole, what was the Paul Maurice thing? This guy will one day have a statue of of himself in the city. (laughs) Well, I mean, again, if he commits to being here for the rest of his career and and that's the sort of thing he's going to do, then maybe something like that gets tied in. I have no idea. Look, there's, Remember, guys, I think it was the Minnesota Wild had a rotating captaincy for a while where a guy was a captain for a month and then another guy before eventually giving it to Miku Koivu. But for a while, I think Andrew Burnett and Miku Koivu were almost like co-captains in Minnesota. So, again, I don't think there's one way it has to be done. I mean, traditionally, it's done a certain way. But, you know, again, there's there's all sorts of different options that you can do uh, to to present a different you know if you want to give your organization different options maybe you do something like that i'm just saying that it doesn't necessarily have to be a straight one captain pick but i mean again i'd be more inclined to believe that's the way it's going to roll out saturday morning the illegal curve hockey show rolls on here our debut after our summer hiatus as uh you know to steer away a little bit from hockey for a second you had a run-in with the law this summer you know i just want to make sure everybody in the household is okay everybody in the family is 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 through the traumatic experience and and is you know back and comfortable with with everything that that went on in that unfortunate time yeah, what Drew's, I think you're talking about the groceries being stolen from my front porch, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. It wasn't yeah. a run-in. I didn't have trouble with the law. I was not arrested. <laughs> uh, unlike uh, number 45, I have not been indicted. So, yeah, uh, we, had a, we had a little incident. I think the funniest thing about uh, what happened was that I went to high school with the Winnipeg police officer. So that was really funny because I'm, I'm not going to uh, mention his name. You guys, I think I've mentioned his name to you guys. But, yeah, I went to same age as, as the police officer at Kelvin. So the funniest thing is, so what, what ended up happening was uh, we had a porch pirate come to our house and what he was doing was he was stealing Amazon packages and right. people's groceries on an electric scooter, which my joke was, I mean, do you think that, that he bought that electric scooter? That was also stolen, right? So I guess now criminals have <laughs> upped their game from bicycles, 10 speed bicycles to electric scooters. But what ended up happening was I usually get home uh, sometimes I get home, especially during the school year, because Naomi is a, a vice principal. So usually we get home first. So what she said was, I ordered groceries. Can you p- please bring them in? Because you're going to be home first, uh, right? And they have to go in the fridge, right? So what happened was I went to the, the front porch. There were, I think, three bags. So I brought them in. I didn't know how many groceries, like how many bags there were, right? So then I bring them in and, you know, we're inside for about 10 minutes. Then the doorbell rings and Ruben goes, there's a police officer at the front door. And I was like, you know, sometimes <laughs> oh, he damn, jokes. The jig is he, up. Yeah. So he's joking around. So I'm like, oh no, what did I do? Um, no, I'm just kidding. But so, and then I opened the door and the first thing that the cop said was, as you live here. <laughs> so it was just like, <laughs> I was like, what is going on right now? And then that, what he said was, so I brought in three of the bags, but there were two other bags that the guy stole. 
So uh, he had a knapsack, and what he did was he put all these groceries. The groceries were still frozen, by the way. Or not frozen, but they were still cold. So what happened was the guy apparently was caught on camera down our street in River Heights stealing an Amazon package. And I guess the, the cops had asked him, you know, where did you get these groceries from? And then he pointed out our house, which obviously is a very unsettling feeling when the guy, um, you know, no, remembers and has your address. But regardless, yes, we got the groceries back. I ran into an old friend from Kelvin High School. Um, but, you know, the good thing is we got the groceries back because we need yeah. those, Drew. I mean, I know that's, that's not that's like you get your quality. money back. There's there's no grocery insurance. So I was just happy to get the groceries back, to be honest. You know, from from a criminal perspective, you know, porch piracy, I, I sort of understand. You know, you're getting something, you know, whatever's in that Amazon package. It's sort of like storage wars. You're, you're, you know, you're opening the box. Who knows what it's going to be? Maybe it's going to be something valuable. Maybe it's going to be a piece of crap, whatever it might be. But stealing groceries is is just more unique to me. Like, what was he going to do with the groceries? Was he going to, you know, cook them somewhere? It's just, the, I've met, I have multiple layers of questions that I'd have to the That's criminal. question, Drew. Uh, What's that? I mean, I would imagine, again, I'm not, I would never, uh, I rail against all the stuff that goes on in River Heights, but I mean, he's obviously stealing it to eat it. He's not stealing it to sell it. You don't steal groceries to sell. Well, I, I, would, agree with, I would agree with Dave. I think, well, I, I, I mean, who knows, Dave? I mean, the guy, I mean, <laughs> l- let's be honest, people that do that aren't exactly the most rational people, right? But I would think that he was, was t- taking those groceries for himself. But that's, I did think about that. I'm like, does he like all the stuff that, that we buy? Like, you know, yeah, we buy did he pork. go through your bags and maybe take, only pick out certain items that he was interested in? Yeah, exactly. I noticed that he went for the broccoli, which my kids Interesting. don't. We're trying to get my kids to eat uh, more broccoli. But obviously, you know, this guy, this porch pirate, like, like broccoli. But like I said, we were just happy. And I mean, you know, for. Um, you did know, you eat all, the groceries? Well, like, did you, uh, you know, after they've been in his backpack? Well, Drew, you usually know, when you buy groceries, you eventually <laughs> eat them. That's right, but what, I don't know if the guy. I, mean, I don't. I don't buy groceries steals... and then put them like put them on display like in a in behind glass. <laughs> like no, yes. but if somebody steals, if somebody steals groceries from you and and takes them away and does you know puts them in his backpack, yeah, but they were only come... gone for like ten or fifteen minutes because the really, guy got a... picked up and they were still cold. I remember they were still cold. So and it's and they were all like sealed and everything like that. So yes, okay. we did. I mean. I didn't. I didn't take everything out and wash. I mean, I washed the things that I needed to wash, but yes, they were eaten. Some of the fruits and veggies might have gone a little bit yeah, bad because that's what happens, right? <laughs> Dave, we couldn't go a solid two hours without having a little oh, bit of ridiculousness. Fair enough. So you know very well. I didn't that know I had that happened. Bring... You didn't know that. You didn't get a text message about that. No, Ez didn't text me. Oh, you and Ezzy might have been. Must have been on the outs a little bit. Uh, I in, think you were in, on in, the boys' the trip, season. Dave. You were at Lake of the Woods, so I didn't want to okay. bother you. Fair enough. Okay, well, there you go. There's Ezzy's uh, running with the law earlier this summer. Let's bring in from ESPN.com national writer uh, Ryan Clark is here to join us. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Can all of you hear me just fine? We can hear you A-OK. Appreciate you joining us this Saturday morning and being here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Uh, how was the offseason? Did you get a little bit of time, a little bit of, uh, you know, relax before the calm, before the storm, as it were? A little bit, but let's just say that there are some things that we've been working on throughout summer that hopefully will be things people will read and enjoy. And if not, then, well, uh, yeah, at least <laughs> I was able to get away for a few days. Well, there you go. That's the important part. You know, Ryan, as we sit here, you know, training camp a couple weeks away for, you know, the majority of the NHL. And of course, hope springs eternal this time of year, uh, for, you know, for all the teams. 
what was your sort of your big sort of storyline of the off season? Is there one story in particular that jumps out at you? Is it just a function of sort of maybe the lack of maneuverability from so many teams that we've, we're almost very much in a, uh, you know, in the status quo situation for a lot of the league moving forward? It seemed like it was about extremes in a sense. And what that means is like, let's take two teams like the Ottawa Senators versus that of the St. Louis Blues. So the Ottawa Senators went out and had the sort of offseason that between Corpusalo and Tarasenko and you just re-signed Jake Sanderson and everything in that city. And of course, the Debrinket trade that sees them get Dominic Kubelik. You look right. at the Senators and you think a couple things. Number one, that's going to be a lot of goals they're going to be able to score. Number two, they have a lot of those young players under wraps for, for some extended years. Three, if Joshua Norris can get healthy, imagine what that team's going to look like. And number four, it's going to be extremely fascinating if they miss the playoffs for a seventh straight season. <laughs> what makes Eastern Conference so interesting is, yes, it's, it's going to be that playoff race, but it's going to be who doesn't get in because Pittsburgh made some serious investments in the offseason, as we know. Ottawa did. Detroit was about as active as everyone. And then with the Sabres, we look at them and we think maybe this is the year. Well, yes, the Florida Panthers showed just how deep the East is. You can be the eighth and go to the cup final. But even then with the Panthers, like they went through their injuries. And so people might think, oh, are they going to be competitive off the jump? But it's like, well, is that really the team? The question, given we saw how that ended last season. Whereas if another example of that extreme would be the St. Louis Blues. And, and, and here's why. So you look at the Blues' defensive metrics. There were struggles across the board in several different offensive cat well, defensive categories, such as shots allowed per 60, scoring chances allowed per 60, high danger chances allowed per 60, you name it. And so there was a conversation about how do you fix, fix a defensive structure, but how do you do it when you look at that defensive unit, especially the back end, and a lot of them have no movement clauses. Like you can't really get rid of these guys. You're not stuck, but it's like you have to get creative with your situations. And so, of course, one of the things the Blues did is they went out, they bought, they brought in an assistant, um, Mike Weber, who they think can do the job in, in terms of helping change the defense. Of course, you see them add Kevin Hayes. And even then, like the Kevin Hayes trade went from this is going to be this gigantic mega deal is what we kept hearing to like they gave up a sixth round pick to get a top six center. And when you look at the Blues, well, yes, they really had to be smart about their money and, and, and they had to be smart about sort of how they improve that team. They were able to get a top six center for next to nothing. And then they were able to provide what they believe is a fix for their defense or something that doesn't hurt their cap. It works within their structure. And those are examples of teams of just kind of how weird this offseason. Well, not weird, but the mentality of this offseason. And now I will be quiet because I've talked for way too damn long. <laughs> no, no absolutely haven't. not Ryan that's why we brought you on I I wanted to go because there's so much we can talk about here that's what makes this the the most exciting time of the year uh, I just wanted to go back to to Jake Sanderson um, and, and the Ottawa Senators like I'm all in on, on the Senators I don't know if they make the playoffs this year but I don't know if there's a more if there is going to be a more exciting team to watch this year they're definitely up there and that Sanderson contract I think caught some people by surprise. So I just wanted to ask you what you thought of that contract uh, and, and how it relates to another player who you just mentioned the team, Rasmus Dahling, right? Because he's, of course, in the last year of his deal. Like, does that mean Rasmus Dahling is like an $11 million a year de defenseman? Because <laughs> Sanderson got $8 million a year. And I like Jake Sanderson 
Uh, he played uh, not too far away from us in, in Grand Forks for the University of North Dakota, as you know, right? So I thought that that contract was good and it could end up looking like a steal. But first off, what did you think of the, the eight-year deal and, and uh, how that might relate to Rasmus Dahlin? It's part of doing business in today's NHL. So this time a year ago, we had a story that published around preseason, start of season, looking at how when you take a glance at this landscape, if you're a young, two-way, puck-moving defenseman, A, not only are you becoming a priority in this league, but B, you are going to get paid, whether you are Quinn Hughes, whether you're Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, like the list just goes on and on. And so when you look at the amount of teams that have these players, that's three we just named right there, there is going to be an importance in terms of not only how do you draft and develop these players, but more importantly, how do you keep them? And they're going to be your highest earners. And so when you look at what's going on with Jake Sanderson, yes, offensively, he was a rookie, had what, 33 points, I believe. And so the offensive production is something that will build over time. But when you look at what he can do to impact the lineup, he can literally play all over the ice in the sense of he was second in five on five minutes behind Thomas Shabbat, who Thomas Shabbat, if he's not you know playing on the ice, he's sleeping on the ice because the man never leaves the rink. <laughs> he led them in shorthanded minutes. He was second among defensemen in power play minutes. He does everything that's being asked of a top four defenseman as a rookie. And so if you're the Senators or any club in that situation, you see what the going rate for these defensemen are. And so, yes, to go ahead and jump in there and give him eight over eight, sure, it might raise some eyebrows. But again, when you look at where this league is heading, this is this is exactly the sort of defenseman that more and more teams are, are trying to get. Why do people think the New Jersey Devils are excited about Luke Hughes? It's more than just the fact that, hey, it's another young talent that's coming through a system that has been developing young talent over the last few years. It's the fact that they look at Luke Hughes and think he can be that kind of player. Because, again, having those sort of players is huge. Not being funny, but we see it in Winnipeg with someone like Josh Morrissey. Like if Josh Morrissey was doing what he was doing and he was 22, 23 years old, he'd be another person to throw in this conversation. But the point is, it's like, Again, going back to the Rangers, like Keandre Miller is another player you can throw into this conversation in the sense of like these young defensemen. Now, as for what it means for Rasmus Dalin, Rasmus Dalin looks like he is going to get paid. Rasmus Dalin used last season to really establish himself as one of the strongest defensemen in the NHL. And who knows, maybe if they make the playoffs, maybe that sees him get more Norris votes. But either way, the point is this like Rasmus Dalin, and when you look at the way the, the Buffalo Sabres are set up, they are set up to where they have Rasmus Dillon and Owen Power, who's, again, another one of these young defensemen, that when you look at their ice times, there's going to be 10 minutes a game where either one of them is not on the ice. To have that kind of responsibility and put on you, and you're one half of that, if you're the Sabres, you understand the financial commitment that needs to be made to keep someone like that, not only just because he's your captain, but because, again, he does so much, whether it's defensively, uh, facilitating things offensively on the power play, five on five, you name it. So, yes, we look at this Anderson deal and say, what does this mean for Rasmus Deline? But really, when you look at what Kale McCarr got paid, Quinn Hughes got paid, Adam Fox got paid down, yes, two of those three are Norris winners. They're all still contemporaries. And it seems like the landscape is going more towards these defensemen getting paid more money. Ryan, Bill Armstrong in Arizona got himself a little contract extension on Wednesday. But will he be extended and still be co- the GM of the Arizona Coyotes? Or do you think 
they're going to be moving. What do you think about that situation in Arizona? Do you think they're going to get the arena done? Or do you think this is uh, inevitably going to be uh, talking about him being a GM potentially in another city? It seems as if until that arena gets completed, this question is going to get asked. And it's understandable why this question is going to get asked. If it's not one thing, it's another in terms of what's going to happen with the arena. What's going to happen with the team? Are they going to stay in Arizona? Are they going to go somewhere else? And the reality is this. They are trying to make it work in different ways and keep having to go to find different solutions. And at some point, you're going to have to answer that ultimate question of, is the future of this franchise in Arizona? Ownership seems committed to wanting to keep it there. But at the same time, if they keep running out of options, at what point is the best option looking elsewhere? And if they end up looking elsewhere, of course, we've all heard about the different reported places that they could potentially move. But in terms of what happens with Bill Armstrong, it's so hard to say in the sense of, what this team is going to do because as of what he's done right now with building that roster let's be honest about the coyotes they're in a discussion for are they the most improved team in the west and in some ways are they one of the more fascinating teams to watch because number one we don't know how good they're going to be it's possible they could win north of 30 games it's possible they could get north of the 80 point plateau something especially that latter one they haven't done in a while and second let's say it's not the kind of season that doesn't get into the playoffs they have so many players on one-year deals that they could trade ahead of the deadline to receive even more draft capital for the future. And so really the easiest way to answer any question about the Arizona Coyotes is the way you could answer the question six weeks ago, six months ago, six years ago, which is they're always going to be interesting until they're not. Ryan Clark, ESPN national reporter, is our guest this Saturday morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, looking around the NHL at all of the offseason moves made by various teams. Ryan, to me, the Colorado Avalanche are an absolutely fascinating team to watch this coming season. We know last year was ultimately a disappointment, losing in the first round to the Seattle crack, and everyone was waiting for the Avalanche to put it together and go on the run, and then they never did. They were one and done. Now, this year... They have really made some significant retooling to the roster. You know, anytime you have McKinnon and Rantanen, you're still going to be in a good place. Let me just make that as the overall caveat. But you bring in Jonathan Duran. He's the definition of, of a reclamation project. Ryan Johansson comes from Nashville. Also, you want to see if there's more there. Ross Colton, they acquire from the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, from your perspective, you know, where are the Colorado Avalanche entering this season as compared to, say, where they were right after they won the Stanley Cup? They're still in the championship window, but it seems like there's maybe fewer questions now than there were a year ago. Because a year ago, through salary cap challenges, among other items, they had some major questions to fill. The biggest being, who is going to be the second line center? And so when you think about how big the Nazem Kadri trade was for them, yes, parting ways with Tyson Berry meant they lost a top four defenseman, someone who was a leader in that dressing room. And someone that just was friends with everyone. But at the same time, you're able to get a second line center in Nazem Kadri, which the second line center experiment was one that shuffled through Tyson Jost, JT Comfort, Alexander Kerfoot. They could never really settle on an option. They get Nazem Kadri. And not only does he come and provide the sort of impact you expect of a second line center, but in his last year, he explodes offensively to have the strongest season of his career. And it leads him getting paid in free agency. So that's one question. Another question he had to figure out was, 
what did they do with secondary offense? Because, yes, not only was Nazem Kadri gone, but you lose Andre Burakovsky, who went healthy. Andre Burakovsky can be a 20 to 30 goal scorer in this league. So you're having to think about what do you do to make up for those losses? Now, yes, of course, they had the goaltending questions, but as we saw with Alexander Georgiev, he, what, either won or nearly won 40 games for them. But also mm-hmm. the other thing about the being goalie for the Colorado Avalanche is this. It is a structure that really works to ensure not only do the goalies not see a ton of shots, but if they do, they seem in places that aren't going to be the most threatening. That's why they've been able to manage year after year with Philip Grubauer, Darcy Kemper, and Alexander Gorgiev. Yes, there is clearly talent with the three goaltenders, but it's that perfect mesh of here's a talented goaltender that can stop shots, but also here's a system that allows them to maximize what makes them so strong. Whereas if you look at this year, and it seems like the big questions are kind of what you just said about what's going to happen with Johansson, what's going to happen with John and Druan, how will Ross Colton fit in? And it's interesting because here's also been the other caveat, not necessarily caveat, but the detail about the Colorado Avalanche, at least this recent form under Jared Bednar, that people may not talk about until they go, oh, yeah, that, that's, a good, that's a point to make is when players come to Denver, their numbers increase significantly. We just said it with Nazem Kadri. Andre Burakovsky went from a player in D.C. who – is he middle six? Is he top nine? Is he top six? What is he? You know he's talented, but you just don't know where he fits, and some of that's just because he's a lineup too. He comes to Denver, and the man is a top six forward, sometimes a top three forward, and it leads to him getting paid and scoring a ton of goals. Valerian Nichushkin might be the strongest example of, of, of a project that that has worked. They went from signing a guy that people thought, why are you getting him? It didn't work out in Dallas to now he's not only one of the most important forwards, he's one of the most important players because of everything that he can do. And not that you can call this person a reformation project, but again, think about the jump Devon Tays made when he left the Islanders mm-hmm. to go to the Islands. Like Devon Tays went from someone in, on the Island and people were like, okay, he's pretty good. If you watch the Islanders and you can pay attention to what he does to where he goes to Colorado, you partner him with Kale McCarr. And there are times you look at Devontae's numbers, whether they be the ones that stand out or the underlying metrics. And you're kind of going, damn, does this dude really have a shot for the Norris if he played (laughs) somewhere else? And so that's just been the thing with the abs is like, if they can get players in, not saying that it's always going to work, but they have shown that when they can bring players in, and those players come there. Brandon Sod's another one that comes to mind. We saw Evan Rodriguez have success, but again, Evan Rodriguez has been consistent the last few years. Like we are seeing players who they come there, they find success and they do well. So it seems like how can they help them in the championship window seems to be one of the biggest questions. So Ryan, I think it makes a lot of sense. For those who don't know, you used to cover cover the Colorado Avalanche. So you know the Avalanche. Allegedly. Really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and of course, now you you live in, in Seattle. Uh, one also of the, allegedly one of the yeah one of the it's it's a city that I've wanted to visit for a very very long time uh, hopefully one day I'll, I'll get there and see that beautiful climate pledge arena but I think it makes a lot of sense to transition from the avalanche to the Kraken because of course the Kraken defeated the avalanche in the in the first round and they I think you'd agree they kind of had a, a little bit more of a, a, a quiet season right like Edmonton decides to move on from Kaylor Yamamoto so the Kraken signed Keeler Yamamoto, which I thought was a really sneaky good signing. Obviously, a guy that's had injury problems, as you know, and signed a guy like Pierre Edward Bellamar, a guy who's had a lot of success in the NHL as a fourth line guy, and then Brian Dumoulin, right? Obviously, the the Pittsburgh connection there again. Signed him, to, I think it was a two year deal, but he's only making three million a year. You know, so he's a good, you know, second or third pairing defenseman. 
Um, and then for me, the question about the Kraken is, how does Shane Wright fit in here? Because I think there, there's always an option. He'll play for Coachella. I don't think the OHL is, is an option unless, unless you correct me, uh, Ryan. But d- d- like, do you see Shane Wright playing the full season with the Kraken? I know that's probably a, a, a hot button topic in, in Seattle because I think Kraken fans are very excited about the possibility, right, of, of Shane, Shane Wright and, and Maddie Beneers lighting it up for them this year. It's not to say that Shane Wright probably won't play at some point, but it's also to say the Kraken have shown they're not about trying to rush anyone's development just to say that they have them there. You think about Maddie Beneers, and look, Maddie Beneers, the thought has been he could have left Michigan right after they drafted him and, and played right away and signed his ELC. But everyone felt getting that extra year of development would help them, and it turned out that it not only helped him, but it's one of the reasons why they have a bright future. Riker Evans is another player who people in that organization have been talking about for more than a year. He was their second round pick in 2021. Yes, 2021, because this is what the pandemic does to our brains. It's like, <laughs> time was this. No, it was that. I think there were airplanes that were in the sky that day. But no, but to be serious, Riker Evans is someone that they have talked about for a while in the sense of saying they thought Riker Evans could make the team out of camp last year. He doesn't. He goes to the AHL. He's one of the best defensemen, rookie or otherwise, in the AHL. Of course, there was Ty Cartier, who was an undrafted free agent who they didn't know exactly. Well, people didn't know exactly what they were getting in Ty Cartier. And not only does he win the AHL Rookie of the Year award, but he comes through in the NHL playoffs and has had some big moments for them. So as it relates to Shane, right, like they've shown in their short existence, like they have a track record for what they want to do with youth which is not rush people. And if you're them and you're looking at Shane Wright, it's about how do you put him in the best situation to succeed? And right now with a player like Shane Wright, he projects to be a top six player. Who do you move out of that top six to create room for Shane Wright? And then who else do you push down from that top six to that top nine? And who do you push down from that bottom six and to either being your extra forward, excuse me, where you send them to Coachella Valley, especially when you're in a team that, we just finished talking about the phrase championship window with the Kraken. It's interesting because it's hard to say if this is a championship window, but they're very much in the neighborhood of the house of where that championship window is. If that horrible analogy makes any sense. And the reason you say that is because they were a win away from the Western conference final. Mm-hmm. They were an absolute win away. And we talk about what they did over the Colorado avalanche that made them different than the abs it's this the abs were so reliant on their top line talent that they they struggled to get goals beyond their top line beyond that top defensive pairing the kraken finished that round in the playoffs getting offensive contributions from everyone in their lineup and so if you have a team that's that deep you just went out and made the moves that you made in free agency it seems like if you're going to talk about the shane wright conversation which makes sense it's about what's the best thing for his development long term and it may not be playing bottom six minutes because how many times have we seen first round picks, especially players drafted in the top half where they go into these bottom six roles and they don't exactly materialize the way that people thought they would. And so if you're the Kraken, you found a plan that works with all these players that we've just mentioned. Ryan Winterton is another one that they feel really strongly about. So with Shane Wright, who's to say what exactly happens? But it seems like no matter what, the Kraken are going to be patient because, again, this is the other thing about this sport. He is literally, what, 19 years old, maybe 20. If he was a 20-year-old playing 
football, everyone would be like, hey, he's a college student. We need to give it time. If he's a 20-year-old in Major League Baseball, it's, guys, he's a 20-year-old. We don't expect him to hit 95. If he's a 20-year-old in the NBA, yet yes, you might think he's going to be a star, but there's also this understanding that it takes time. Whereas if in the NHL, it's like, were you a first-round pick? Did you go in the top five? Are you 20 and haven't scored 80 points yet? Why have you failed society? <laughs> it's like, people, some players take time. You know, and Ryan, with that idea of time, the Coachella Valley Firebirds did the uh, had a, one of the most remarkable AHL seasons. We, of course, here cover NHL hockey, but we also cover the Manitoba Moose of the AHL on this program. So it, it's always fascinating to me to see what happens in the AHL playoffs. And, and Coachella was a fantastic story in their first year going uh, against Hershey in the finals, making it to seven games. Phenomenal uh, seven-game series uh, with Hershey. Uh, liked hearing Grant Fuhrer on the call. Didn't expect him. I was like, oh, that name, that voice sounds familiar. And all of a sudden, I realized it was Grant Fuhrer. But what what did you guys? What did the organization see in terms of development and the ability to get those guys into that winning culture and have that's going to hold them in good stead for the years to come? And, and also, I know you wrote about Jessica Campbell, who's the first female assistant coach. So maybe uh, you could tell us some more about about that and her impact on that Coachella team. Sure. Well, it seems like the overall theme in Coachella is what you're seeing from a lot of teams that want to build from within, which is how do you develop a culture that once one set of players moves on to the NHL, the guys who are coming in behind them understand how it works. And so Andre Burkowski, Philip Grubauer, really good examples of this. So when we were all in Colorado and I was doing a story about sort of how do the abs build what's going on in the AHL, Philip was really good about getting in the detail of, hey, when you are able to build an AHL culture, it allows you to have a path forward that lets players understand this is what it takes. So you think about the time that he was in Washington and don't have all the names in front of me, but at one point in time in that window, the Washington Capitals in their farm system had Philip Grubauer, Tom Wilson, Andre Burakovsky, all-star Chandler Stevenson, which... <laughs> Sure, they wish they could have all those players back right now. But again, like there are so many more examples of players that they had that came through their system, but they're all homegrown. And when you look at how everyone is trying to build through the draft to win, not only because you keep continuity, but also just financially, it's what makes more sense than trying to answer all your major questions in free agency. It seems like that's the culture teams are, are trying to build is how do you build from within? We've seen Tampa do it. We've seen Colorado do it. Uh, even though we always talk about Vegas in the sense of this win now and win at all costs, we're going to start seeing more of an impact of their farm system this season because we saw how limited they were in the summer because of their cap issues. But there are some young players that have come up through that system. Like, yes, we we think about some of the homegrown players that they've had already, like Keegan Colasar, uh, Zach Whitecloud, because I'm sure no one who listens to this program has ever heard of those two before. Uh, <laughs> Nick Hague being another one. These are all players that came through their system, but they also have others like Paul Cotter, who like, even though he didn't play in the playoffs, Paul Cotter scored more than 10 goals playing in a bottom six role last year. Like there are plenty of teams who would covet a player like that. And there mm -hmm. are more players like that that Vegas has who they might be counting on this year. But again, as it relates to the Kraken, it's about how do you sort of build that culture? Because again, you're seeing it. You saw what the Edmonton Oilers are doing with it and how it's helped them, how it's helping the LA Kings. So that's part of it. And with Jessica Campbell, one of those telling things, talking to different people about Jessica Campbell was when Troy Bodie said there would be skill sessions that would have 90% participation because players wanted to learn from her that much. And you saw the results. Like, 
Coachella Valley scored at a rate that concussed everyone, it seemed. Not only were they getting goals, but they were getting goals from different parts of their lineup. And not only that, but yes, you saw them score, you saw them win, but you also saw their players go to the NHL level. And then when they were at the NHL level, they were able to be significant contributors. And that's why if you're an organization, it's what you want to see from your AHL franchise. It's, yes, you give your players a place to grow, develop, but then you know when you call them up, they're going to make some really, really thing. Make they're going to give you some really interesting things to think about. And with Ty Cartier with training camp this year, he is going to force the Kraken to have some really interesting decisions to make because if he can harness how he played in the NHL playoffs and the way he played in the AHL playoffs and 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 parlay that into a strong camp, who's to say Ty Cartier doesn't make that team out of camp? And then next thing you know, you look at the Kraken, you go between Maddie Veneers and Ty Cartier. That's two homegrown talents, which it's weird to think. They have been around for three years, and they might have two homegrown talents on the roster. Doesn't but again, take long. This, but this is what teams are trying to do, and not being funny, but if anyone would know this, it would be the Winnipeg Jets, because when we think about the Jets' rides, which I'm sure we will talk about here shortly, because no one in Winnipeg ever wants to talk about the Jets at all, ever. There is a time <laughs> where whenever you turn around, you looked at the Jets, and you're just like, where the hell do they keep getting these dudes from, like? Hellebuck's homegrown. Like, Ehlers is homegrown. Kyle Connors is not homegrown because Kyle Connor is an alien. He's not homegrown. He's from another <laughs> planet. Um, Mark Shifley is homegrown. Josh Morrissey is homegrown. I mean, it's almost kind of like if you were playing 2K and you're just, like, looking around at who's that sneaky good team on 2K, and you're like, where the hell did they come from? That was the Winnipeg Jets. So, yes, there is a value to being homegrown. Last question for you, Ryan, along the same lines about the Winnipeg Jets. We've spent most of the offseason, most of the last number of months talking about the risk-reward of Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck playing the final year of their contract here in Winnipeg without so far a contract extensions. What are your thoughts on that dynamic as the 23-24 season quickly gets underway? This is going to be... Not necessarily the most important year in the Jets franchise because that's melodramatic, but it will be franchise altering because let's start with Connor Hallibuck. Mm -hmm. If you're able to move him at the deadline, assuming it goes that far, maybe before the deadline, the going rate for a Vesna goaltender in season is going to be fascinating because the last time a Vesna trophy goalie was traded, was Mark Andre Fleury, but of course those circumstances were different mm -hmm. in terms of the the reasons for his movement, also where he was at in his career, which it's is interesting because you know every time we think Mark Andre Fleury, like oh this is it, he yeah. keeps coming back. So maybe just stop doubting the guy. But in the case of Connor <laughs> Hellebuck, who's to say what the Jets would get? Who's to say what teams are willing to part with? And it could be the sort of haul that could really push the Jets forward both in the future and in the interim, again, if it's kind of something like we saw with the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, if they were to re-sign him, then that sends a message that they think they have everything they can to win now. And maybe not everything they can. They're close to getting everything they can to start winning now, especially when you look at who's on the roster. And not being funny, but imagine what this team could be if Cole Perfetti could stay healthy. Every time you see him play, you see the flashes of it. But it's just a matter of health. And so you know you've got guys like that coming through. With Mark Shifley, that's the more curious one, just because losing top six talent in this league 
is something teams never want to do, especially if it means they don't give up something. And if you are the Winnipeg Jets and you decide to move on from him and you are able to get something in return, you're hoping that investment is significant. But at the same time, like it's hard to say what that return will be because we've seen some top six talent in this league go for halls that we would expect, some that we would that were larger than we expect, and some that you're just like, really, that's all it took. And we just talked about that with Kevin Hayes in the St. Louis Blues. And so, look, it is definitely a gamble no matter what you do if you're the Winnipeg Jets. But either way, the the game you want to avoid playing is losing those two for absolutely nothing. Because mm-hmm. to lose those two for nothing, and again, let's be really honest here, yes, the NHL is in this era where people have shown, look, you can get goaltending help in a bunch of different ways, but Connor Hellebuck is not just the average goaltender. He is one of those few goalies who can place and start 65 to 70 games a season He is the reason they have won games, if we are being frank here. And to replace a player like that is going to be difficult. So if you're going to lose him, you want to get something for him. And especially someone like Mark Shifley, too, because there are teams that could use a player like Mark Shifley. The Boston Bruins would probably love to have someone like Mark Shifley. There's a lot of teams that would love to have someone like Mark Shifley. But if you're going to part ways with him, you want to make sure that you get something because to lose either one of them or both of them, for absolutely nothing, it could set the franchise back in a way that, again, not that it's insurmountable, but in this era where we're seeing teams openly load up on draft capital or find ways to improve the roster in in, in different capacities. Again, like we saw with the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, if you can't do either one of those two things, especially when you're a team like the Jets who, look, we're not talking about someone that's been so far on the playoff race that they've been closer to a lottery spot. Like, the playoffs of either is something they've been, they've, they've made or they've come close to making. And mm-hmm. if you're them, you've got to find a way to either keep that up or if you can't keep that up, it's because you think you're in a position to start getting your, your sort of lottery talents. But then the question is, how do you make that work when you have Ehlers and, and Kyle Connor and Josh Morrissey and all these other players? So, again, it's going to be a fascinating season for the Winnipeg Jets. Ryan Clark, ESPN NHL reporter, a great appearance this morning. Absolutely love that Nike hat. That, that's such a classic Nike hat, Ryan. I was going to say something uh, right off the bat when I was asking my question, but absolutely love that hat. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Ryan, thank you so much this morning. We'll do it again real soon. Enjoy the start of the season, and we'll talk to you again uh, shortly. You got it. Thanks again. Cheers, Ryan. Have a great weekend. Hey, you too. There he goes, Ryan Clark, joining us this morning Ryan's on the awesome. Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Great I mean, I think, Ryan, I think Ryan guys just became our Kraken insider. Well, he's covering the entire league for, for uh, ESPN yeah. now, so you can read more of his work on ESPN.com. We go to break for one final commercial break, and then we come back and wrap the Saturday morning edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey A great return edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show on this Saturday morning. Big thanks to Mike McIntyre. Big thanks to Ryan Clark for joining us. In case you missed any of the show, the podcast will be available as soon as Dave M. does his great work that he always does. And, of course, the instant replay available on the YouTube channel. Programming note for next Saturday. It's the Jewish High Holidays. Rosh Hashanah, if you didn't know, and I know this is going to be breaking news to all involved, uh, the three of us are Jewish. So we're going to be spending next Saturday uh, in synagogue. So no show next Saturday morning. We might pop up uh, you know, during that week. We'll let you know. Follow us on all of our socials and the website, IllegalCurve.com. But no show next Saturday. But likely, hopefully, if everything works out, fingers crossed, 
will be live at FanFest for the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday the 23rd. Just trying to arrange those details, but hopefully if you're going to head down to the uh, Hockey for All Center for Jets FanFest two weeks from today, uh, we will hopefully be there as well doing a live broadcast on that Saturday. So no show next Saturday. We'll be back two weeks from today for sure, and maybe a pop-up show between now and then. We'll determine that as events warrant. But nonetheless, a great return engagement on this Banjo Bowl Saturday. I had a lot of fun with Dave, and I had a lot of fun with Ezzy. And Ezzy, I do need to apologize on behalf of my son. He, you know, when you went up to him yesterday at school and said, do you know who I am? And he said no and slammed the door on your face. That definitely was not the behavior that we've taught him. We've taught him to be polite, well, without being rude. So I do need to apologize for that. Well, the funniest thing is, I mean, he was going to the bathroom. So that's probably <laughs> what caught Sam off by guard, off guard. But yeah, it was funny. I saw both your kids, saw you yesterday uh, at our kids' school. So uh, hey, look, I think every anybody driving around the city uh, knows that it, you know it's back to school. So it's a fun time of the year. You got the NFLs back. Uh, the NHL is right around the corner. So as Mike mentioned, it's the best time of the year. I mean, April, April is also a really good time of the year with the first round of the playoffs, but um, early September, mid September is such a good time of the year. And as you mentioned, training camp right around the corner, we're going to be at Jets fan fest in a couple of weeks. And then we're going to be having all those conversations about line combinations and who's going to be the second line center for the Jets and everything like that. So to be back and, uh, yeah, it's uh, I I can't imagine you know a better time of the year than right now. It is a great time of the year, Dave M. Great job by you on this return engagement on this Saturday. And I guess you have to get all the kudos. You're the one who arranged all these fancy new microphones. You in conjunction with producer Tim. So uh, thumbs up to you for uh, making Ezzy and I sound good on this Saturday morning. No problem, no problem. It's just the first of many changes you'll be seeing on Illegal Curve, the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, the Illegal Curve Post Game Show. Throughout the course of the upcoming 2023-24 season, lots of good things to come. And of course, if you haven't yet already, we just finished our summer series. So Henry Nikkinen, Daniel Torgerson, Jeff Malott, Dimitri, uh, no, Danny Zilkin, and Chaz Lucius, five Jets slash Moose guys who, uh, if you want to get to know them a little bit more in depth, we had some features. So you had a little IC content while we were on hiatus, but we're back. We're uh, going to kick off some Saturday shows. And then, of course, as uh, Drew mentioned, in about what, five weeks' time, we'll be uh, under uh, post-game shows. We'll be back in, in the full flow, and we'll have some fun with those as well. So some more prizes coming your way from some of our sponsors, uh, excitingly enough. And we'll uh, more giveaways that we'll be doing at live shows than, than anything else. But we'll have some fun things upcoming for this year. So I'm already looking forward to it, and I'm great. it's great to be back, and it's great to hear from everyone. And hope everyone had a great summer and looking forward to a fall. If you haven't already done so, smash the like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, tell your family the best place to be every Saturday morning. And again, after each and every Winnipeg Jets game is here with the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Big thank you to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Our friends at Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Linden Market Dental Center, Betway, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rolly's Transfer, Grid Park, Zapia Group Realty. Support these fine businesses because of their continued support of of illegal curve hockey if you're heading to the banjo bowl this afternoon like yours truly do it safely have fun 
be responsible if you see me come say hi i'll be there enjoying the game as well we'll see everybody in the next couple weeks we'll be back keep it tuned to our social media for all the latest news regarding the winnipeg jets illegalcurve.com rolls on as always for dave manuk for ezra ginsburg i'm your host drew mandel if it's saturday it's the illegal curve hockey show live on youtube and all of our social media platforms thanks for listening to this broadcast from illegal curve hockey For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.